You're listening to the new Mutual Audio Network. Welcome home. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance recommended. Taken from the pages of magazines your grandfather used to hide from your grandmother, this is Pulpery Theater, starring the Narada Radio Company. tale of exploration, the exploration of outer space, and coincidentally, the exploration of the human psyche. Well, one human psyche at least, that of rocket ship mechanic Herb Halloway, who's part of a crew headed for the planet Mars. Halloway signed on for the trip, and he's a vital part of the team that's going out onto the surface of the planet. But the captain is starting to notice something a little bit odd about Mr. Halloway. He can't quite put his finger on it, but he's starting to get the idea that his mechanic's dedication to the mission might be slipping a bit. Our story is called Defense Mech and was written by sci-fi legend Ray Bradbury, author of the classic futuristic novel Fahrenheit 451. Defense Mech, short for Defense Mechanism, was first published in the spring 1946 issue of Planet Stories magazine. We'll get started with Mr. Holloway's tale in just a moment. After this important word, you're listening to Pulpery Theater, starring the Narada Radio Company. the market for one of those big expensive tools that really gets the job done ready to break out in tears because of the price well dry those damp cheeks friends because you can get any big expensive tool you need at the central tool rental center the central tool rental center has them all the big tools the expensive tools the tools that really get the job done Whatever your tool rental needs, you can find your rental at the Central Tool Rental Center. Conveniently located at Brent's Town Center Shopping Center in Central City. The Central Tool Rental Center is a proud division of the Sayus Corporation. Sayus, three times faster. Welcome back to Defense Mech, tonight's installment of Pulpery Theater, starring the Narada Radio Company. Herb Halloway, as we explained before the break, is on a rocket ship with a destination of Mars, but it's becoming evident to the captain that something's a little amiss with his mechanic. Listen now to Defense Mech.
Oh my god! Do you realize how far from Earth we are? Do you really think about it? It's enough to scare the guts from a man! Hold me up, do something, give me sedatives, or hold my hand, or go call Mama! A million cold miles up, see all the flickering stars, feel my heart whirling like a hot pinwheel! Halloway, son, do you know who I am? What's wrong with you? Hello, Captain. I'm sick, if that's what you want to know. I have a right to be scared, just look at all that space! Standing here a moment ago, I stared down at Earth, so round and cloud-covered and asleep on a mat of stars, and my brain tore loose and screamed, Man! Man! How'd you get in a mess like this? In a rocket a million miles past the moon, shooting for Mars with a crew of fourteen? I can hardly stand up. My knees, my hands, my heart are shaking apart. Hold me up, sir. This is the captain speaking. Will the psychiatrist please report to the crew quarters? Now you just keep still, Halloway, and the doctor will be here in just a minute. What are hysterics like? I'm glad the captain called the psychiatrist. I need something. Oh, damn it! Damn it! Damn it! Hello, Mr. Halloway. How are you? Hello, Doctor. You're the one for me. Please, sir, turn this damned rocket around and fly back to New York. I'll go crazy with all this space and distance. The psychiatrist and the captain huddle together, and their voices murmur and blend, rising and falling. A young Halloway here's on a fear jag, Doctor. Can you help him? I'll try. A good man, Halloway is. Imagine you'll need him and his muscles when we land. With a crew small as it is... Every man's worth his weight in uranium. He's got to be cured. I might have to squirt him full of drugs to keep him quiet for the rest of the expedition. Impossible! Please, understand, Captain. This man is definitely psychotic about going home. His talk is almost a reversion to childhood. I can't refuse his demands, and his fear seems to be too deeply based for reasoning. However, I think I have an idea. Halloway? Yes, sir? Help me, Doctor. I want to go home. I want to see popcorn exploding into a buttered avalanche inside a glass cube. I want to roller skate. I, I want to climb into the old, cool, wet ice wagon and go chick-chick-chick on the ice with a sharp pick. I want to take long, sweating hikes in the country, see big brick buildings and bright-faced people, fight the old gang, anything but this awful... Yeah. All right, son. You can go back to Earth now, tonight. What? You can't tell him that. We're landing on Mars today. Please, Captain. Well, Halloway, back to New York for you. How does that sound? I'm not so scared now. We're going down on the moving ladder, and here is the psychiatrist's cubicle. Okay, Halloway. Watch the spinning lights. Watch them go round and round. Listen to the sounds of the water. Aren't they soothing? Aren't you getting sleepy now? Sleepy. Sleepy? Oh, so sleepy. Like under warm water. Being pushed around. Washed. Quiet. Oh, gosh. Sleepy. Doctor's voice, like feathers. Soft. Listen to me, Halloway. You're going to land on Earth. 
No matter what they tell you, you're landing on Earth. No matter what happens, you'll be on Earth. Remember that. Remember that. You won't be afraid because you'll be on Earth. Remember that. Over and over, you'll land on Earth in an hour. Home. Home again. No matter what anyone says. Uh, uh, oh, yes, sir. Home again. Sleepy. Home again. Drifting. Sleeping. Oh, thank you, sir. Thank you from the bottom of my drowsy, sleepy soul. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Sleepy. Drifting. Check stations. Get ready for Mars landing. Uh, I'm awake! Hey, everybody, come look! Here comes Earth! Right at us like a green moss ball off a bat. Coming at us on a curve. Get into spacesuits. Test atmosphere. Get into what did he say? Your baseball uniform, Halloway. Your baseball uniform. <laughs> yes, sir. My baseball uniform. Where'd I put it? Over here. Head into... Uh, legs into... Feet into it. <laughs> there. Ugh. Oh, this is great. Pitcher in there, old boy. Old boy. Smack! Yow! Adjust space helmets. Check oxygen. What? Put on your catcher's mask, Halloway. Oh, the mask slides down over my face like that. Oh, here's the captain. Why are his eyes so angry? Doctor, what's this infernal nonsense? You wanted Halloway to be able to do his work, didn't you, Captain? Yes, but what in hell have you done to him? Strange. As they talk, I hear their words flow over my head like a wave dashed on the rocks. But the words drain off, leaving no imprint. As soon as some words invade my head, something eats and digests them, and I think the words are something else entirely. I couldn't change Halloway's basic desire. A given time, yes, a period of months, I, I could have. But you need him now. So against all the known ethics of my profession, which say that one must never lie to a patient, I followed along in his own thought channel. I didn't dare frustrate him. He wanted to go home, so I let him. I've set up a protective defense mechanism in his mind that refuses to believe certain realities, that evaluates all things from its own desire for security and home. His mind will automatically block out any thought or image that endangers that security. <clears throat> then Halloway's insane. Captain, would you rather have him mad with fear or able to work on Mars, hindered only by a touched condition? Coddle him and he'll do fine. Just remember, we're landing on Earth, not Mars. Earth. Mars. You'll have me raving next. The doctor and the captain certainly talk weirdly. But who cares? Here comes Earth. Green, expanding like a moist cabbage underfoot. Landing. 
Airlock opened. Use spacesuit oxygen. Here we go, gang. Last one out is a pink chimpanzee. Halloway, come back, you damn fool. You'll kill yourself. Feel the good sweeter. Home again. Praise the Lord and pass the army nation. Let's dance, sing off key, laugh. Chef, old dog, look at you running to meet me. Long fur shining in the sun, barking. Good old Chef, I haven't seen you in years. Come here, pooch, let me pet you. Don't pet it. Looks like a carnivorous Martian worm. That's a Halloway, use your knife. Chef growls and shows his teeth. Chef, what's wrong? That's no way to greet me. Come on, Chef. Shep, if you haven't got rabies, have you, boy? Ow! That's my ankle! Lord, Shep, you're crazy! And you used to be such a fine, beautiful dog. Remember all the hikes we used to take into the country, boy? I'll give you one last chance, Shep. Let's go! But where did this long knife come from in my hand, like magic? <sighs> Sorry to do this, Shep, but... Shep screams and thrashes, screams again. My arm pumps up and down. My gloves are freckled with flakes of blood. Don't scream, Shep. I, I said I was sorry, didn't I? Get out there, you men. Bury that beast immediately. Captain, don't talk that way about Shep. Sorry, Hathaway. I meant to bury that dog, you men. Give him full honors. You were lucky, son. Another second of those knife-like teeth I don't know what he means. I'm wearing sneakers, sir. Oh, yes. Yes, so you are. Yes, well, I'm sorry, Halloway. I know how you must have felt about Chef. He was a fine dog. I think about it a moment, and my eyes fill up wet. Let's take a short break, and then we'll come back with Act Two of Defense Mech by Ray Bradbury. Tonight's installment of Pulpourri Theater, starring the Narada Radio Company. Hi, friends. This is Phil Boyd Studge speaking to you from Crazy Crambones Discount Warehouse in Sandusky, Ohio, the home of the insane bargain. Um, today's special is no exception, and it's so nutty that we're afraid the men in white coats are coming for poor old crazy Crambone for this offer. It's approximately 172 cases of genuine, authentic Julia McKinder brand spices. That's right, friends, the same Julia McKinder who brought you several decades of entertainment with her unique TV cooking program, Julia McKinder's Kitchen. Well, a few years ago, Julia came out with her own brand of spices, and this included several unusual blends that turned out uh, not to be very popular, or at least not as popular as her TV show. You may recall an incident in 2011 
when an entire studio audience filed a class action suit against Julia for a mass sneezing fit brought on when a clumsy stagehand dropped a jar of Julia's 15 pepper potpourri. I'm happy to say that Ms. McKinder survived that near disaster, but her sales plummeted, which is why we're here today with this very special offer of approximately 172 cases of her spice blends. I have a few samples here. Uh, in addition to several jars of the aforementioned 15 pepper potpourri, you can get several boxes of Julia's garlic and cinnamon medley. Oh, and here's her very special blend of turmeric, wasabi, and Vermont maple sugar. Uh, and lastly, her very special dry rub made up of several different and unusual ingredients like basil, oregano, curry, onion powder, rose petals, camphor, and menthol. Uh, these last three because Julia thought it might be nice to offer a dry rub not only for steaks and ribs, but also for sore muscles after a workout or a hard day at the mill. Tommy, Tommy, be careful with those boxes. Don't... <sighs> Tommy. So, friends, that's approximately 172 cases of Julia... McKinder Spice Blends available... Available now at... Crazy Crambone's Discount Warehouse... In Sandusky... Oh... 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 oh. Oh, hell, let's send it back to the studio. Gosh darn it, Tommy, you clumsy little son of a... Welcome back to Defense Mech, tonight's Pulpery Theater presentation. When we came to the end of the first act... Poor, hypnotized Herb Halloway was dancing joyfully around the surface of the planet Mars as though it were Earth. Add to that the fact that he just killed a giant, carnivorous Martian worm, thinking it was his old dog, Shep. And you've got a pretty good idea of what's next for our bamboozled space traveler. As we take up our story again, Herb and the rest of the landing party are unloading the exploratory gear from the spaceship. The captain says there'll be a picnic and a hike once we've got all the luggage taken out of the metal house. The boys are talking like it's going to be some picnic. Some seem afraid, but who worries about copperheads and water moccasins and crawfish? Not me. No, sir. Not me. Gus Bartz drops a piece of luggage and squints at me as he blinks sweat out of his eyes. Lions and Indians in New York in this day and age. Oh, 
sir. Uh, let it go. Keep alert, anyhow. Carry on, Halloway. I'm helping the others work now, and I ask Gus Bartz a question. Are we taking the yellow streetcar to the edge of town, Gus? We're using propulsion belts, skimming low over the Dead Seas. How's that again, Gus? I said we're taking the yellow streetcar to the end of the line. <laughs> yeah. We're ready. Everyone's packed, spreading out. We're going in groups of four, down Main Street, past the pie factory, over the bridge, through the tunnel, past the circus grounds, and the captain says we'll rendezvous at a place he points to on a weird-looking map. Whoosh! We're off! Wait, I forgot to pay my fare. Uh, that's okay. I, I paid it. <laughs> Thanks, Captain. We're really traveling. The cypresses and maples flash by. Kawoom! Sir, I wouldn't admit this to anyone but you, but momentarily there, I didn't see this streetcar. Suddenly, we were moving in an empty space, nothing supporting us, and I didn't see any car. Uh, but now I see it, sir. You do, Yes, sir. See? I'm holding the strap. You look pretty funny sliding through the air with your hand up like that, Halloway. How's that, sir? <laughs> Why are the others laughing at me, sir? Oh, nothing, son, nothing. Just happy, that's all. Ding, 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 ding. Canal Street in Washington. Ding, ding. Whoosh. This is real traveling. Funny, though, the captain and the men keep moving, changing seats, never stay seated. It's a big streetcar. They're way up front, and I'm in back. By the large brown house on the next corner stands a popcorn wagon, painted yellow and red and blue. I can almost taste the popcorn in my mind. It, it's been a long time since I tasted some. If I ask the captain's permission to stop and buy a bag, he'll refuse. Uh, so I'll just sneak off the car at the next stop, then get on the next car and catch up with the gang later. Somehow, I got the car to stop by turning something on my baseball uniform that I don't want to know about. And I'm off the car now, walking. Here's the popcorn machine with a man behind it, fiddling with some little silver knobs. Tony! Tony Bambino! What are you doing here? It can't be! But it is! Tony, who died ten long years ago when I was a freckled kid, alive and selling popcorn again. Oh, Tony, it's so good to see you. Let me shake your hand. Give me a bag of popcorn, signore. Just a minute while I search for my nickel. Whew. It's hot, Tony. <laughs> Pardon me for criticizing you, but I think you got the popper turned up too high. <sighs> Am I running a temperature? I feel like I have a little torch hung inside my head. Everything's melting, Tony. My baseball uniform is glowing orange. Can you turn it off? Here, let me do it for you. You hit me. Stop hitting me. Stop clicking those knobs. It's hot, 
you? Gone. Where did that purple flame come from? And what was that zapping noise? It seemed to stream right out of my hand, out of my... Boy Scout flashlight. The purple flame just ate Tony up. Hellaway. Now I hear a fly Hellaway. buzzing inside my catcher's mask. Hellaway. Hellaway, damn it. Where the hell are you? Wait, it's not a fly. It's the captain. His voice is sizzling. I hear you, but I don't see you, sir. Halloway, we're on the dead sea bottom near an ancient Martian city, and... Never mind, damn it. If you hear me, press your Boy Scout badge and yell. Hey, Captain. Halloway, glory, hallelujah, you're not dead. Where are you? I stopped for popcorn, sir. I, I can't see you. How can I hear you? It's an echo, Halloway. Let it go. If you're okay, grab the next streetcar. Perfect timing, sir. Because here comes a big red streetcar now, around the corner of the drugstore. What? Yes, sir, and it's chock full of people. I'll climb aboard. Wait, wait a minute. Hold on. Good grief. What kind of people, damn it? It's the West Side Gang. Sure, the whole bunch of tough kids. West Side Gang, hell. Those are Martians. Get the hell out of there. Transfer to another car. Take the subway. Take the elevated. Too late. The car stopped. I'll have to get on. The conductor looks impatient. Impatient? You'll be massacred. Uh-oh. I guess there'll be a fight. Everybody's getting off the streetcar, looking angry at me. Kelly and Grogan and Tompkins and the others. The captain's voice stabs my ears, but I still can't see him anywhere. gang up on me and give me the bumps, the bumps, the bumps. I bet they'll trust me to a maple tree, maple tree, maple tree, and, and tickle me. I bet they'll tattoo their initials on my forehead. Mother won't like this. And Papa ain't happy neither. Get out of there, Halloway. I knocked one down, sir. We're battling. Keep it up, Halloway. Another one down. And a third. Wait, someone's grabbed my ankle. I'll kick him. <clears throat> there. I'm stumbling, falling, seeing purple lights sizzling the air. Wow, three of them vanished just like that. Uh, I, I think they fell down an open manhole. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to hurt them bad. They stole my flashlight. Get it back, Halloway. We're coming. Get your flashlight back and use it. I got my flashlight back. Broken. No good. We keep fighting, but I'm feeling weak. There are so many of them. It's not fair. I'm falling down, kicking, screaming. Up speed, men. Full power. Uh, they're tying me up. I can't move. They're they're rushing me onto the streetcar now. I won't be able to go on that hike after all. And I planned on it so hard, too. Here we are, Halloway. Blast them, men. Oh, my lord. Look at the horrible faces on those creatures. Mm. Watch out, Captain. They'll get you, too. And the others. Ouch! My head. You're listening to Defense Mech by Ray Bradbury. Tonight's installment of Pulpery Theater, starring the Narada Radio Company. Stay tuned. We'll be back with Act 3 in just a moment.
a special feature of Potpourri Theatre. We have sent our intrepid reporter, Phil Boyd Studge, out to Double Mint, Massachusetts to interview yet another person with a strange yet real occupation. We'll let Phil Boyd tell you all about it. So from Double Mint, Massachusetts, take it away, Phil Boyd Studge. Phil Boyd Studge here, speaking to you from the Crunchmeister Snack Food Company in Double Mint, Massachusetts, to interview yet another person with a strange yet real occupation. Devour Bunch is a potato chip inspector here at the factory. Mr. Bunch, thank you for taking time out of your busy day to speak to our Potpourri Theater listeners. Hi, how you doing? Uh, I wanted to point out that you mispronounced my first name there just a second ago. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. So it's not pronounced Devour? No, my parents, God bless them, saddled me with that name. <laughs> no, it's spelled capital D, small e, capital V, small o, small u, small r. So it's spelled the same as the word devour, but it's pronounced devour. Oh, uh, okay, uh, devour, thanks for... Ah, uh, you don't have to call me that. You can call me with all my little pals and the Tiki Lounge Bar and Grill call me. And what's that? Maurice. <laughs> Mr. Bunch, let's move on to the subject of our interview. Can you give me a thumbnail sketch of your job as potato chip inspector? I'd be happy to do that, Mr. Studge. <laughs> I'm one of the eight inspectors on the line here at Crunchmeisters. We've got four for each shift. It's our job to make sure that every potato chip that goes into a bag is uniform in size, texture, and color. We can't have any weird looking or goofy shaped chips going into a bag and disgusting our customers, you know? <laughs> I'm not sure what you mean by that. I I've seen some odd-looking chips come out of a bag before. Oh, can you describe these odd-looking chips? Sure, I guess so. I remember one, for instance, that looked like a piece of paper folded in quarters. Oh, that ain't nothing. <laughs> there, those are okay to go through. I, I thought you meant really weird. <laughs> well, uh, since you keep bringing that up, Mr. Bunch, why don't you tell me what you're driving at? Oh, I'm very glad you asked that, Mr. Studge. I have here a photo album with pictures of some of the more unusually shaped potato chips I've pulled off the conveyor belt in 12 years of working for Crunch Monsters. Oh, how interesting. These are really unusual specimens. Do you really think so? I am so glad. Here's one that's shaped like a fierce little wolf. <laughs> Here's one that looks like an angel. Hmm? See the wings there? So pretty. And this one. This one is my favorite. My very best find. Uh-huh. Well, just look at it. Don't you think this chip looks exactly like former President Ronald Reagan? Um... Sure, sure. I, I, I guess I can see some resemblance there. It's a very um, jowly potato chip. Yes, I'm so proud of my collection. <laughs> but it's a rare day when one of these beauties fall into my sorting area. Is that right? Oh, heavens, yes. Normally, I'm just finding chips that are too dark or, or clumped together with other chips or the ones that just don't look very appetizing. And what do you do with these rejected chips, Mr. Bunch? Well, they go into a bin right next to... Oh, here. Uh, see Myrtle over there at Station 7? Hi, Myrtle! Oh, she can't hear me on account of the noise. <laughs> but see right there next to her left hip? That's the bin that all the rejected chips go into. Yes, but what happens to them after that? Well, the company policy states that all the rejected chips be destroyed. But they don't specify how. 
So most of my fellow inspectors are kind enough to give them to me at the end of the shift. <laughs> and then, what do you do with them? I eat them. Every single gosh darn one of them. <laughs> really? Well, do you think that this diet of potato chips has affected you in any way? Oh my goodness, can't you tell by looking? I'm four foot six inches tall and weigh almost 400 pounds. <laughs> I'm, I'm a roly-poly What are you doing there, Mr. Bunch? I'm doing my roly-poly dance. Watch me. Oh, I feel light as a feather. Oops. I'm okay. Folks, I've never seen anything like this in my life, and that's really saying something. I'm afraid that's all the time we have. We've been talking with DeVore Maurice Bunch, potato chip inspector at the Crunchmeister Snack Food Company from Double Mint, Massachusetts. I'm Phil Boyd Studge, sending it back to the studio. Yeah, bring that in here. Wow, I don't think one forklift's going to be enough. Welcome back to Defense Mech, tonight's Pulpery Theater presentation. When we left off, the crew of the rocket ship that landed on Mars was busy trying to rescue Herb Halloway from a band of angry Martians. Or was it a New York street gang? Things have been rather confusing for poor Mr. Halloway, especially because he got hit on the head during the fight and was knocked out cold. We joined the rocket crew in a dark cave somewhere on Mars. Rock-a-bye, baby, on the treetop. Oh, I can hear a voice, but it's dark. Dark as the inside of a whale. Oh, my head hurts. I'm flat on my back, and I can feel rocks under me. Uh, good morning, dear Mr. Halloway. That you, Captain? Over in that dark corner? That uh, ain't the President of the United States. We're in a cave? Where is it? Why don't you tell us, Halloway? You got us into this mess with your eternally blasted popcorn. Why did you get off that street corner? Did the West Side Gang trust us up like this, Captain? Hell with the West Side Gang. Those were alien, Halloway. Inhuman, unsavory, horrible things. All loose-fleshed and gangrenous. Aliens! What a funny way to talk. Listen, you powerful old idiot. About an hour, we're going to be fried, gutted, iced, killed, slaughtered, murdered. We will be ipso facto dead. Your so-called friends are whipping up a little bloodletting jamboree. Can't I shove it through your thick skull? We're on Mars, about to be sliced and hammered by a lousy bunch of Martians. Excuse me, 
Captain, sir. Yes, Berman. The cave door is opening, sir. I think the Martians are ready to come at it, sir. Some sort of test or other, no doubt. Let go of me, you one-eyed monster. I'm coming. Don't push. We're outside the cave. They're cutting our bonds. Here's the brick alleyway. <laughs> There's Mrs. Hyde's underwear waving on the clothesline. See all the people from the beer hall? What are they waiting for? To see us die. Captain, what's wrong with Halloway? He's acting strange. At least he's better off than us. He can't see these creatures' faces and bodies. It's enough to turn a man's stomach. This must be their amphitheater. And that over there looks like an obstacle course. I gather from their sign lingo that if we make it through the obstacles, we're free. Footnote. Nobody's ever gotten through alive yet. Seems they want you to go through first, Berman. Good luck, boy. So long, Captain. So long, Gus. So long, Herb. I can hear Berman yelling high and clear, even though he's getting farther away. Here comes a car. Lift up my legs, put them down. Breathe out, breathe in, swing arms, swing legs. Chew my tongue, blink my eyes. Berman, here I come. Gee, things are crazy funny. Here comes an ice wagon, trundling along. It's coming right at me. I can't seem to get around it, it's coming so fast, so I'll jump inside it. Jump, jump. Cool, ice, uh, ice pick. I hear the captain screaming a million miles away. Chick around the ice perimeter. The ice wagon is thundering, shaking, rolling on big, rusty iron wheels. The rear end seems to be snapping shut with many sharp ice prongs. I feel intense pain in my left leg. Piece of ice, cold cube. Then a shuddering feeling and the wheels slow down. The ice wagon stops rolling. I jump out of the wrecked wagon and wonder, did it run over Berman? I hope not. A fence here, I'll jump over it. Another popcorn machine, very warm, very hot, all flame and red fire and burning metal knobs. Oops, I didn't mean to strike the popcorn man down. Oh, hello, Berman. What are you doing in my arms? How'd you get here? Did I pick you up? And why? Is this an obstacle course race at the high school? You're heavy. I'm tired. I hear the captain screaming me on. I'm so tired. Captain, Berman, Gus, so tired. I think I'll sleep for 40 years when this race is over. Uh Uh-oh, look out, it's the big, mean truant officer. Mama won't like the way I'm fighting, but I kick Mr. Truant Officer in the shins and in the face. Something went squish. Hmm, Let's forget about that, shall we? Mama, yes. Mama, no. Mama, keep going. The whole gang's after me now. Irish and Norwegians and Italians. Here comes a swift car from the right and another from the left. I hope I can stop with you, Berman. Stop screaming, Berman. Hey, I just found another flashlight. I'll shine it on the gang. They don't like the pretty purple beams with the flashlight. They're running away. And here's the end.
You're listening to Defense Mech by Ray Bradbury. Tonight's installment of Pulpourri Theater, starring the Narada Radio Company. Stay tuned. We'll be back with the conclusion of our play in just a moment. Wednesday nights are adventure nights on the Turnbuckle Television Cartel when Richard Square Shrub stars in The Brother from Mother. Set in the swinging 60s, it's about a groovy cat employed by a secret spy organization to catch the evilest bad dudes in the world. The coffee-colored spy who gives a sixty eye. Gonna catch a baddie and spank him like your daddy. He works for an espionage organization. That's the baddest in the nation. Yes, Miss Flossie Candy. Oh, yes, the Yank. Send him in. Very good, sir. Oh, hello there, Mr. Ah, brother. A pleasure to have you with us on this assignment. I'm Basil Nigel, the head of MI6. What's happening, my man? What's happening? Oh, dear. We thought you'd been briefed in full before you flew across the pond. Well, yeah, cat. My main man gave me the lowdown on this gig. The lowdown? Your main man? Oh, yes. Sorry. I'm a little slow this morning. This gig, as you so ah, quaintly put it, is of vital national importance. MI6 have lost two of our agents already, which is why we've reached out to your government for assistance. Yeah, I dig. They send in the brother to mop up Charlie's mess. I beg your pardon? Who is this Charlie person? Charlie the white man. Charlie always send in the brother to finish the job. But I don't sweat it, because the brother always finish the job. You dig? Oh, dig? <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. I, I dig. I most certainly dig. Quite. Remember, that's Wednesday night for adventure and the brother from mother. Right after keeping up with Kamehameha on TTC. Welcome back to Defense Mech, tonight's Pulpery Theater presentation. When we left off, Herb Halloway, thinking he was running an obstacle course at his old high school, had just rescued his shipmate Berman from the Martians. Once he set Berman down in front of his captain, Herb lay down and took a nap. It's now some time later, and everybody's back on the rocket ship, 
Listen now, and all will be explained. And Halloway runs down that amphitheater, nonchalant as a high school kid running hurdles. A big yellow Martian with a mouse so damn big it looks like the rear end of a delivery truck lunges at Halloway. What did Halloway do? Halloway jumps right inside the monster's mouth. Right inside. What happened then? I'm telling you, that critter looked dumbfounded. It tried to spit him out. But what does Holloway do? He draws forth that Boy Scout blade and goes chick, chick, chick all around that beast's bloody innards, pretending that he's chopping up pieces of ice inside an ice wagon. No! On my honor, the monster starts floundering around, and after a minute, in a spout of blood, out pops Holloway, grinning like a kid. And on he runs, dodging spears, thinking they're pebbles, and leaping over a line of crouched warriors, thinking they're a picket fence. Then he picks up Berman and trots along until he meets up with a 300-pound Martian wrestler. Holloway thinks he's a truant officer and kicks him in the face. Then he knocks over a guy trying to operate a paralysis machine, which looks, to Holloway, like a popcorn wagon. After that, two gigantic black Martian leopards attack from either side, resembling to Holloway nothing more than two bad drivers in big black automobiles. He sidesteps the leopards and then they crash together, tearing each other apart. Holloway's darting right and left, shooting people with his flashlight, which he took from the popcorn man, I might add, and is amazed that they vanish. Uh, shh. Holloway's waking up. Saw his eyelids flicker. Hold on. Quiet, everyone. Quiet, quiet. Holloway, you awake? Yeah, Gus. I've been listening to you talk for five minutes. I still don't understand. Nothing happened at all. How long have I been asleep? Two days. Nothing happened, eh? Nothing. Except you got the Martians kowtowing, that's all, brother. You were spectacular and impressive, Herbie boy. And the enemy suddenly decided that if one Earthman could do what you did, what would happen if a million more came? Everybody keeps on with this joking, this lying about Mars. Stop it. Where am I? Aboard the rocket, about to take off. Leave Earth? No, no, I don't want to leave Earth. Let go. I'm afraid. Let go. Stop the ship. Halloway, this is Mars. We're going back to Earth. Liars, all of you. I don't want to go to Mars. I want to stay here on Earth. Holy cow. Here we go again. Hold him down, Gus. Hey, hey, doctor. On the double. Come help Halloway change his mind back again, will ya? Liars! You can't do this to me, liars! Liars! You have been listening to Defense Mech, the 10th and final episode of Pulpourri Theater's second season, starring the Narada Radio Company. Featured in the cast were, in order of appearance, Austin Hanna as Herb Holloway, Andy Moore as the captain, Mary Lee Robinson as Berman, Griffin Green as the first crew member, Lisa McGrew as the second crew member, and special guest voices, Rich Wentworth of the Hadron Gospel Hour as the Doctor, and Bill Holweg of Broken Sea Audio as Gus Bartz. Your announcer was Lisa Ayala. 
Defense Mech was originally published as a short story by Ray Bradbury and appeared in the spring 1946 issue of Planet Stories magazine. It was adapted by Pete Lutz, who also directed and produced this program. Join us again for Season 3, coming in October. Our premiere will be the award-winning play by Pete Lutz, The Trunk. Music in tonight's episode was Dvorak's Symphony No. 9, performed by the Columbia University Orchestra. Special features cast were Melody Gaines as the Central Tool Rental Center announcer, Derek Rhine as the Potato Chip Inspector, Christy Glick as Miss Flossie Candy in The Brother from Mother sketch, and John Washington as The Brother. Pete Lutz provided additional voices here and there. The Brother from Mother theme was composed especially for Pulpery Theatre and performed by Ross Bernhardt. Lead vocals by Ross Bernhardt, backing vocals by Pete Lutz and Lisa Ayala. All Between the Acts features in Pulpery Theatre are conceived and written by Pete Lutz. Pulpery Theatre is made possible in part through a very generous gift from Del Cielo Home Healthcare, located in Alice, Corpus Christi, and other Texas cities. Visit them at dchomecare.com. Thanks for listening to our Season 2 finale, and remember, we hope you'll join us in October as we kick off Season 3. Until then, I remain your obedient servant, Pete Lutz. Seeding production was sourced from materials in the public domain except where indicated. The audio play script and the production itself are original works and are the property of their creators and thus protected by copyright. This production was pre-recorded and mixed at 63 Audio, Corpus Christi, Texas. Remember, Pulp Puri Theater is your source for the best in audio drama. This has been a 63 Audio production. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.